Art Curious, Stories of the Unexpected, Slightly Odd, and Strangely Wonderful in Art History is a brand new book with lots of weird and wildly entertaining stories that haven't been covered on this podcast. Stories like the rise of everybody's favorite painter of the pretty, Claude Monet, and how all those water lilies and haystacks were actually subversive badassery. How some late 19th and early 20th century women may possibly be the first abstract artists. And what do toenail clippings and a chunk of Caroline Kennedy's birthday cake have to do with one of Andy Warhol's most enduring legacies? Art Curious, the book, will be released on September 15, 2020, but you can pre-order now to reserve your copy. Pre-order links are available in the show notes or at our website, artcuriousbook.com. That's artcuriousbook.com. Hi, everyone. Once again, it's me, Jennifer, here with you to count down your favorite five episodes of the Art Curious podcast. Now, it's no surprise to me that this episode made it to the top five, because it's the episode that started it all an episode that was based on a personal experience of mine inspired by a random, rogue comment from one of my own professors in college. You know it, and apparently you love it. It's our first ever episode, number one. Is the Mona Lisa a fake? Now, I re-recorded this episode a couple of years ago because, as some of you longtime listeners may have noticed, we've gotten a little better at this whole podcasting thing since we began. At least we do sound a little bit more polished now. And so during the re-record, we not only updated the details in the show, added some new music, and just made it sound better all around, but we also separated it into two episodes, because the original was just too darn long. We've gone ahead and we've done the same thing here again, but that doesn't mean that you have to wait two weeks to hear the rest of it. So we are going to be dropping the second half of this story into your feed next Monday, along with more of your comments and notes. Speaking of which, here's our first listener testimonial today, and it's from one of our younger listeners, which is awesome. I truly adore how this show can be something to people of all ages. Our writer says, I cannot explain how much I love Art Curious. My name is Anna Kate. I am 13 years old, and I am an aspiring curator and art historian. I live in Portland, Tennessee. I love art history so much, and your podcast has really helped me learn about it. I excitedly await the episodes and mark them on my calendar. Episode number one perked up my ears. You went into the crazy details of the crime and left the audiences with quite a troubling question. Is the Mona Lisa really a fake? All of the episodes of your podcast make the audience think and twist their brains in wonderful ways. Thank you so much for the podcast and inspiration. Thank you, Anna-Kate, for writing in. And Anna-Kate, by the way, has recently started the Instagram account at arthistory.ondisplay. Be sure to check out her post there. Today, we also have a great listener recording from Kathleen in North Carolina. Hi, Jennifer. My name is Kathleen Toller, and I live in Durham, North Carolina. A friend of mine recommended the Art Curious podcast to me a few months ago because I am an art enthusiast. I have formal background in fine art, enjoy visiting museums, and dabble in creating my own art on the side. I was naturally drawn to the Art Curious podcast, but was then hooked because of its unique and entertaining approach to the wonderful world of art. After all, nearly everything we view in society was touched by an artist, and we rarely learn their story. In 2017, I was lucky to visit the Louvre and view the Mona Lisa in person. Art Curious's description of the masterpiece is spot on, and although I had known a little about her history, I had no idea that she had been on quite the adventure. Oftentimes, we view art without knowing all of the context or history. 
Our Curious podcast delivers the whole package by diving into the historical facts and weaving exciting tales of art and artists. Currently, I just finished season three, am starting on season four, and look forward to reading your book come September. Thank you for this delightful podcast. Kathleen, thank you so much for your kind words, and I'm happy to hear that the show means so much to you, too, and that you're also looking forward to the book. Thankfully, you don't have that much longer to wait because it'll be out in two weeks. A reminder to all of you that you can still pre-order my book, Art Curious, Stories of the Unexpected, Slightly Odd, and Strangely Wonderful in Art History, wherever you order your books. And that includes your local independent bookstore via Bookshop or IndieBound. All the links are available on our website, artcuriouspodcast.com. But now, back to the focus of today, the marvelous, and perhaps falsified, portrait of Miss Mona. Thank you for listening, and remember... The second half of this episode is coming to you next week. See you soon. When I was an undergraduate in college, I took your basic entry-level art history survey course. And in it, I learned all the basics. The meaning of the word chiaroscuro, how to identify the three types of capitals on an ancient Greco-Roman column, and what made the Impressionists different from the Post-Impressionists, besides that the Post-Impressionists came later. But one day, I learned something rather shocking. My smart, level-headed professor led us through all the details of one of the most famous works of art on the planet, if not the most famous. She is so intriguing, what with those slightly hooded eyes and especially that mysterious smile. My professor said, you can see her yourself if you visit the Louvre Museum in Paris. But then she paused, and after a breath, she whispered, but of course, the Mona Lisa on display is a fake. Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, crazier, or more fun than you can imagine. And today we are going to tackle one of the most famous art thefts in the history of the world and its possible impact on a Renaissance masterpiece. Welcome to the Art Curious Podcast. Exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. Standing in front of the Mona Lisa today is, no doubt, a crazy experience. At the Louvre Museum, the painting, which is smaller than you imagine, hangs in a climatized compartment which keeps its temperature and humidity steady behind bulletproof glass that is one and a half inches thick. Beyond that, museum goers are kept behind a barrier of several feet. And finally, a modern age dictates that if we don't snap a selfie in front of something, we never saw it or experienced it. So add in hundreds of iPhones held above heads. This is the truth of the matter. You can't really see Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece very well. But that doesn't stop the millions of visitors who brave the labyrinthine corridors of the Louvre in order to attempt to view it. Indeed, a Museum Index report released on CNN in 2016 noted that the Louvre is the world's most visited museum, welcoming just shy of 9 million visitors in 2015 alone. And of those visitors, roughly 80% come to the Louvre specifically to see the Mona Lisa, or La Joconde as she's called in French. 
So, if the Louvre is the world's top museum, the Mona Lisa then is the most visited work of art on the planet. Generally, it is believed that that great Renaissance master, Leonardo da Vinci, began painting the Mona Lisa in either 1503 or 1504, after he moved to Florence. Throughout the years, there have been many arguments as to the identity of the subject. And my personal favorite, by the way, is that it is a self-portrait of Leonardo in drag. That is a story for another day. But the generally accepted identification is that it is a portrait of a woman named Lisa Gherardini, the wife of a wealthy merchant named Francesco del Giocondo. Hence the Mona Lisa's actual or official Italianate name, La Gioconda. The majority of the painting was probably completed prior to 1507, and according to Giorgio Vasari, a contemporary of Leonardo's who's primarily known as a somewhat inaccurate scholar and artistic biographer, Leonardo, quote, lingered over it for years and then left it unfinished, unquote. Interestingly enough, the painting never left the artist's possession during his lifetime. Even after Leonardo moved to France to work under King Francis I in 1516, he brought the painting along with him. Some art historians even claim that he may have tinkered with the painting all the way up through 1517, a full decade and a half after he began it. Upon Leonardo's death in 1519, the Mona Lisa, along with Leonardo's other possessions, was inherited by one of his pupils before King Francis ultimately purchased that painting. Francis displayed the painting in the palace at Fontainebleau, and it remained there until King Louis XIV moved it to the famed Palace of Versailles in the late 17th century. Luckily, Mona survived the violence of the French Revolution, and she was briefly given a place of honor in Napoleon's bedroom, until she was finally relocated to her current home, the Louvre, in 1804. Originally yet another regal palace, the Louvre was converted to the State Museum of France in 1793, and the rest, as they say, is history. So there you have it. This strange and intriguing painting, a pride of France and a display of technical prowess that enjoyed a peaceful life in the greatest museum of the world beginning in the early 1800s. Peaceful, that is, until a century later, when suddenly, it was gone. On the morning of Tuesday, August 22, 1911, a painter named Louis Beroud walked into the Louvre to study the masterworks and to seek artistic inspiration. Like his colleagues, he sought permission from the Louvre to copy paintings in the permanent collection, which was an activity that the museum encouraged. And really, honestly, the Louvre was perhaps a little too permissive. They let the artists just basically store their paints and their easels overnight in the galleries and nearby closets. The only rule in terms of copying a painting was that the artist's reproduction could not be the same size as the original. This is the single guideline that was the only real step the museum took to prevent art forgery. Now, Beirut intended to copy Leonardo's little painting, sure, but there wasn't any real reason to prioritize the selection. Because, you see, the Mona Lisa was famous, especially within France, but her reputation was nowhere near the international superstar status that we have assigned to her today. In fact, the painting received a very small amount of attention until the second half of the 19th century, when the Romantics, those artists who sought feeling and emotion over realism, they became enamored with Madame Mona's oh-so-seductive smile. Only then did the work begin to receive significant acclaim and praise. Prior to that point, 
it was a Renaissance masterpiece, but only one among many. At the dawn of the 20th century, she was popular enough that she started receiving her own fan mail from admirers around France. And as her fame grew, so did her attention. Suitors brought her flowers and sometimes even attempted to propose marriage to a painting. But after a woman slashed a painting by the neoclassicist artist Jean-Auguste Dominique Ingres in 1907, officials determined that Mona, as well as many other priceless works, were far too accessible and that greater measures needed to be taken in order to protect her. And so, a specially formulated glass box and custom frame were fitted around the painting. But this preparation, it was apparently not enough to keep her safe. When Louis Baroud entered into the gallery known as the Salon Carré that August morning, he noticed something rather odd. The Mona Lisa was missing, and in its place were only four iron pegs, which was the backing where the wooden panel was hung. Beirut was surprised, and so he sought clarification from museum employees. Where was Mona today? he asked. Their responses, shrugs and claims of ignorance, surely did not bode well for the safety of the Louvre's treasures at the time. Even the head of security noted that he believed the work had simply been removed in order to be photographed for publicity purposes. This, as you might guess, turned out to be an incorrect assumption, and I can only hope that the man was very quickly relieved of his security position. After it was confirmed that no one in the Louvre knew of the painting's whereabouts, the horrible realization dawned. The Mona Lisa had been stolen, and its whereabouts were unknown. Coming up next, the search for the world's most famous painting. Stay with us. If you're a regular listener to Art Curious, then you've heard me thank our production partner, Kabunki, for making each of our episodes sound so incredible. They've been with us since the beginning, and now they're here for you too. Need production and editing help for your own podcast? Sure. Full service video for your film or marketing project? You bet. How about original content for your website or campaign? No sweat. Kabunki does it all for video, audio, or whatever your medium. Their award-winning team has the tools and talent to elevate everything you do. Get to know our friends at Kabunki like we do and tell them Art Curious sent you. Visit kabunki.com. That's K-A-B-O-O-N-K-I.com. Kabunki, a silly name, but superb content. Art Curious, Stories of the Unexpected, Slightly Odd, and Strangely Wonderful in Art History is a brand new book with lots of weird and wildly entertaining stories that haven't been covered on this podcast. Stories like the rise of everybody's favorite painter of the pretty, Claude Monet, and how all those water lilies and haystacks were actually subversive badassery. How some late 19th and early 20th century women may possibly be the first abstract artists. And what do toenail clippings and a chunk of Caroline Kennedy's birthday cake have to do with one of Andy Warhol's most enduring legacies. Art Curious, the book, will be released on September 15, 2020, but you can pre-order now to reserve your copy. Pre-order links are available in the show notes or at our website, artcuriousbook.com. That's artcuriousbook.com. Welcome back to Art Curious. I can only imagine the thoughts running through the mind of museum officials when they learned that the Mona Lisa was missing. At first, 
They probably harbored the naive hope that the panel had simply been removed and was left lying in a nearby gallery. And so the Louvre closed its doors to the public to undertake an interior search, calling in a sizable corps of policemen to comb the galleries for the painting, or at least to find some clues about its disappearance. That closure that Tuesday stretched into a full week of intense scrutiny. During the search, the museum's employees were alerted to stay calm and, above all else, to not alert the newspapers. Because the Louvre didn't want to alarm the public, but just as importantly, it didn't want to face the embarrassment of the shocking revelation that its security measures were unbelievably lax. Of course, people quickly took notice of the closure that stretched on and on, and the public indeed began clamoring for the reasons behind the barricading of the greatest museum in the world. The cat was then out of the bag, and the international press ran with the story. The news was trumpeted across the Western world. Mona Lisa missing. Detectives seek stolen painting. No clues yet uncovered. The interior search of the Louvre failed to turn up the painting, but it did turn up something. A protective glass box and a discarded frame emblazoned with the painting's title. The worst was then confirmed. The Mona Lisa had been removed from her frame and then removed from the Louvre. And the thief, or thieves, had had just enough of a head start that the Mona Lisa could be anywhere in the world. What kind of leads or ideas did the police have about those responsible for the theft? Well, at the beginning, they had too many. As soon as word got out that the painting was gone, everyone in Paris wanted to get in on the action. Local police stations were flooded with tips, most contradicting one another, many possibly falsified, and some totally paranoid. And then came the supposed sightings of Mona Lisa herself. The painting was found on a train in Belgium, was spotted in Holland, and was assumed to be on a steamer boat bound for America, like so many immigrants of the day. Naturally, conspiracy theories abounded too. The one I like the most is that the theft of the Mona Lisa was a vast cover-up instigated by the Louvre's curators, because the painting had been irrevocably damaged during a botched conservation effort. So to hide their embarrassment over the destruction of a Renaissance masterpiece, the curators supposedly hid the original in the basement of the Louvre, claiming that it had been stolen, but only temporarily, until it could be replaced by a suitably believable copy. So keep that idea in mind, because we are definitely going to circle back around to it. Eventually, Louvre officials and police came to the same conclusion upon studying the discarded frame in the glass box. Whoever stole this painting knew art, how to hold it, how to separate a panel from its frame and backing, how to protect it, and how to sneak away without being noticed. After a few fits and starts, they began narrowing down their long list of suspects, finally circling in on a particular group of friends, an artsy gang led by the poet, writer, and art critic Guillaume Apollinaire and his close pal a short, swarthy, and moody Catalan painter named Pablo Picasso. Apollinaire and Picasso were no strangers to scandal involving art theft. Around this same time period, both were questioned regarding a robbery of several small statuettes, also from the Louvre's collections. It turned out that the theft was actually undertaken by an acquaintance of Apollinaire who just happened to nick artworks occasionally as a means of pure entertainment. But when it was discovered that Picasso had actually ended up with a couple of those stolen figurines, it seemed like only a small step further to indict him of being involved with the theft of Mona. Indeed, Picasso had purchased the statues from Apollinaire's associate, 
but he also clearly turned a blind eye to the inscriptions on the bottom of each sculpture that read Property of the Louvre in big, bold letters. So let's be honest, that is some truly sketchy behavior. And so both Picasso and Apollinaire were brought in for questioning and were detained. Apollinaire himself was even briefly arrested. And under the stress of the situation, they did what many do in similar circumstances. They metaphorically threw each other under the bus. Apollinaire claimed Picasso knew the painting's location. Picasso balked and blamed Apollinaire as a criminal mastermind. Luckily, however, it became obvious that those were both unsubstantiated fabrications and neither man could be connected to the missing Leonardo panel in any way. They were quickly released from custody, but as you might imagine, Apollinaire and Picasso's friendship was never the same again. If there is one upside to the terrible theft, it is this. The Louvre experienced a massive uptick in the number of visitors, as thousands crowded the Salon Carré to get a look at the spot where the Mona Lisa used to be displayed. Waves of tourists rubbernecked to see the painting today, and a hundred years ago, people did the exact same thing in order to glimpse, literally, nothing. Eventually, of course, the novelty of this nothingness wore off, both for the crowds and for the museum, and Mona's former post was quickly filled in with Raphael's famous portrait of the Renaissance writer Baldessari Castiglione. A fitting choice, really, because Raphael's composition was inspired by that of the Mona Lisa. Mona was not forgotten, but as the months passed without sign of her or her captors, all the world began to lose hope. In late 1912, France's deputy minister of fine arts reported, quote, There is no ground to hope that Mona Lisa will ever resume her place in the Louvre. Unquote. Such a world-famous work of art could never be sold on any public market. It is too identifiable too famous. Really, whoever had taken Mona Lisa could only offer it in secret to a collector, probably one with insanely deep pockets. Or the captor could simply hold on to it, enjoying her enigmatic smile within the confines of his or her own home. Either way, it was assumed that the chances of ever seeing Mona again were slim to none. And so, with a sad air of finality, the investigation into the disappearance was officially closed. How was the Mona Lisa rediscovered? And when? Who got down to that business of stealing her? And is the Mona Lisa really fake? That's coming up at our next episode. Stay with us. Thank you for listening to this listener favorite episode of the Art Curious Podcast, a retelling of the first half of our well-loved pilot episode. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel. Our theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com. Our logo is by Dave Rainey at daveraineydesign.com. And social media help is by Emily Crockett. Our production and editorial services are provided by Kabunki. Video, content, ideas. See more at K-A-B-O-O-N-K-I dot com. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchorlight. Anchorlight is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, Anchorlight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. 
The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator. You can find more images, information, contact details, and links to all of our previous episodes on our website, artcuriouspodcast.com. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Art Curious Pod. Join us next week, yes, next week, not two weeks, as we continue this story of the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful, possibly fake, Mona Lisa. <laughs> <laughs>